Luke 10, and stick your finger there and go to Judges, the first chapter, and go there with me. For our podcast congregation, we are so glad that you're joining us this afternoon. We pray that today will be an eye-opener, a, a word of enlightenment, a word of encouragement. The thought or theme today, a little different than normal, thought or theme today, I've entitled this word, You Are, look at somebody and say, I am, Satan's replacement. You are Satan's replacement. Always a joy to have Larry Smith Sr. with us in the house and the grandbabies. So glad to have you, Larry, looking better every time. God's working a miracle in his life in restoration and healing. A special uh, word of encouragement to Josh's family to, to lose a grandma, especially right, right at Mother's Day. I mean, right, and a grandfather. What a, what a, I still remember my grandparents dearly loved them. They taught me great, wonderful things, and those memories I will hold on to forever. And hopefully one day I'll be a grandfather that will walk in that respect and integrity. So many people came to celebrate him and celebrate his life, and we celebrate you because you're an offspring of him. So, the, so it continues. The generation continues. You are Satan's rela- replacement. There are some things that I would like to establish that most of this house knows if The Lord allows, I do want in the next several weeks to kind of go in this particular area. The word says that especially as we see the end times approaching, that demonic activity will get more and more aggressive, that things will begin to happen that did not happen normally, or things will go to such a degree that that things become more and more evil. 1 John 5 and 17 says, The whole world lieth in wickedness. We know that Satan is the God of this world. We're going to give you some scripture today and some things you might want to write down. You might want to research later. You might want to look at it. So if you've got your iPad or your iPod or whatever it is, your, your little thing, that you're not on Facebook. Hopefully you're not on Facebook. If A.C. Cordell was here, he'd probably be on Facebook. So you're not on Facebook. You're actually looking up the scripture on your thing. You're not playing that little, that little game that's become so popular. I want to bring some things to your attention. First of all, the book that you have in your hand or your lap, this book was written to three generations. And those three generations are all descendants of the sons of Noah. You know that Noah had three sons, Ham, Shem, and Japheth. All three of those sons, when they left the ark, they reestablished, they relocated. And from those three generations, we find the three generations the Bible is written to. The first generation that the Bible is written to is to the generation of Ham, and that is the generation of godlessness. The Bible addresses people that will never turn their hearts towards God. They will never pursue the things of God. They will continue to go their own way and do their own thing. And the word says there will come a day when God will laugh at their calamity. He will mock when their fear cometh. The word says, be not deceived. God is not mocked. Watch men sow it, that shall he also reap. He that soweth to the Spirit shall the Spirit re- re- receive life eternal. He that soweth to the flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. So there's a generation that no matter what God says, no matter what God does, no matter how, how plain the picture becomes, they are going to reject God. And the Bible addresses that generation. The second generation that the Bible addresses is the generation of Shem. And from the generation of Shem, you find the nation of Israel, the wife of God, the Jewish generation. A lot of this word is aimed right at that generation. I am not a Jew. I'm not a Sabbath-keeping Jew. I'm not a sacrificing Jew. I happen to be a Gentile, 
And thank God there was a Japheth. When you have followed the generation of Japheth, from the generation of Japheth comes the church. So the Bible is written to the godless, to the, to the Jew, and to the church. Aren't you glad that we are grafted into that, that vein? Aren't you glad that we're a part of that tree, that we are the descendants of Abraham, that God has blessed us as he has blessed his wife? The church, as you know, is the bride of Christ. And when Christ returns for his bride, there'll be seven years honeymoon celebration. And then there will be God will return and God will remarry Israel and even God and his wife will be restored. How exciting or how encouraging is that to anybody in the building? We know there are three archangels. The Bible speaks of Michael. When you find reference to Michael, he is the warring angel and he's the angel that usually protects or defends Israel. He is the he is the angel that represents God and represents Israel. When you find reference to Gabriel, Gabriel is the revelator, the angel of the church, the angel that represents the Holy Spirit. So we have Michael representing God. We have Gabriel representing the Holy Spirit. And then we find Lucifer. I'm going to show you uh, a little later this morning that Lucifer was probably the choir director of heaven. He was the chief musician. I believe I can show you a little later in scripture that one third of the angels worship and praise God as Michael led them. One-third of the angels worship and praise the Holy Spirit as Gabriel led them. And one-third of the angels worship and praise the word Jesus Christ as Lucifer led them. You will know that Lucifer was cast out of heaven. One-third of all the angels fell with him. And I personally believe today the church of Jesus Christ is a replacement choir that one day will lay our crown at his feet. And we will crown him King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And we will praise him and worship him forever. That we replace that satanic choir that was cast from heaven because of its rebellion. This morning, I want to tell you there are three things that Satan can do. The Bible says we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against four levels of demonic order. Principalities, powers, rulers of the darkness of the squirrel, spiritual wickedness in the heavenlies. Four levels of attack that we come against. And there are three things that that attack can do. First of all, the devil can tempt you. We know that Jesus was without exception, like in all points, tempted as we are, yet without sin. Satan came to him on at least three occasions that we know of and tried to tempt him. We know that he did not submit to that temptation, just as God has promised you that he will not put more temptation on you than you can bear, than you can endure. There's more to you than you know. You may feel like that you're weak and you're anemic, but God said, if you're going through something, probably because God has something for you and the enemy is trying to talk it out of you. Can anybody relate to that this morning? The second thing that the enemy can do, he is the accuser of the brethren. That's exactly what he tries to do. He operates in the area of accusation. But if you're a born again child of God and you're accused for his name's sake, the Bible says great shall be your reward in heaven when you endure accusation. The third area the enemy operates in and probably more now than, than previous is the area of deception. The Bible says that the enemy can deceive you. The Bible says in the last days that many shall believe a lie and be damned. We see this spirit of deception today in the occult, in different things happening in the world. And that is one error that we've got to be very, very careful that we do not allow the enemy to deceive us or trick us into believing something that is not true. Something that's worse than lack of knowledge is wrong knowledge. I believe the enemy has his foot in the door of many religions. I believe that he is a God, the principality of this world. And I believe that he loves raising up false churches, false doctrine, false teaching. And we'll look at that a little later. There are three things that the demonic power upon this earth can do. Two things it can do to a Christian. One thing it cannot do to the basic population of the world. 
demonic entities can oppress you through the area of depression and fear manipulation and usually produces medication to, to try to solve that depression. The second thing the enemy can do, the demonic powers can do, is a, to, to have you walk in the spirit of obsession where you're just obsessed with something, you're bound by something, tricked by something. The third thing that demonic spirits can do, I do not believe to a born-again believer, is the area of possession. We have not recently, in, in previous years, have encountered people that have been demonically possessed, but when we were a younger church, there were a lot of times when demons would be cast out, they would leave, and that the person be normal and healthy and whole. I do not believe a born-again, spirit-filled believer can be possessed, but I do believe a, a born-again believer can be oppressed, and can be obsessed. And aren't you glad that greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world, that there is power through that. In Judges, the first chapter, the guys are going to help me a little bit in the King James Version. I want to share uh, just a few verses there, if I may. Judges 1. Now, after the death of Joshua came to pass, the children of Israel asked the Lord, saying, Who shall go up for us against the Canaanites first to fight against them? And the Lord said, Judah shall go up. Behold, I've delivered the land into his hand. And Judah said unto Simon his brother, Come up with me into my lot, that may fight against the Canaanites, and I likewise will go with thee into thy lot. So Simeon went with him. And Judah went up, and the Lord delivered the Canaanites and the Perizzites into their hand. And they slew of them in Bezek ten thousand men. And they found Adonai Bezek in Bezek, and they fought against him, and they slew the Canaanites and the Perizzites. But Adonai Bezek fled, and they pursued after him, and caught him, and cut off his thumbs and his great toes. And Adonai Bezek said, threescore and ten kings, look at somebody and say seventy, seventy kings, having their thumbs and their great toes cut off, gathered their meat under my table, as I have done, so God has requited me. And they brought him to Jerusalem, and there he died. This is a very interesting story in the Bible. It talks after the death of Joshua. We know that Joshua was a Timothy of Moses. We know that the, God told Joshua that everywhere he went, he would be with him. God told Joshua, don't let this word depart out of his mouth, but pursue it, do it. He would make his way prosperous, have good success. Joshua was a very successful leader, a very successful prophet, but he has died. But Joshua has raised up a generation of warriors that want to fight. God promised them some land. Joshua had not conquered all the land that God had promised. So the Israelites decided they were going to go against the enemy. And a guy by the name of Judah, and let me give some definitions to some names here that will help you. A guy by the name of Judah, and we know that Judah goes first. We know that Judah represents praise. That's the praise of God, and God has blessed us with. So God takes a praiser by the name of Judah. And Judah goes into a covenant with a guy, a brother by the name of Simeon. Simeon means hearer and doer of the word. If two or three gather in my name, you get a couple of praisers and you get a couple of people walking in faith. And you got to keep a couple of people that not just read the word, that do the word. You're going to have revival. You're going to have restoration. You're going to take back some things the enemy has stolen. Adonai means Lord. Bezik means land. Adonai Bezik was the Lord of the land. This, this king, this evil king, had captured 70 kingdoms. The Bible says that 70 kings sat in his table and served him. When he captured them, he cut off their thumbs and he cut off their big toes. If you lose your thumb, you lose your grip. If you lose your toes, you lose your balance. I believe today the church in many areas of ministry has lost its grip. 
I think the church in many areas has lost its balance. It's very difficult to clap your hands without thumbs. It's very difficult to dance without toes. I believe the church has lost its ability to praise. I believe the church has lost its ability to dance. But aren't you glad that he is the God of restoration, that old things are passed away, all things are become new. David said, clap your hands, all you people. Shout to the Lord with the voice of triumph. But here was a generation of kings that were not praising and they were not dancing. And when Judah and Simeon, the Bible says one can turn a thousand, two can turn ten thousand. Judah and Simeon go to Bezek, and there they conquer ten thousand warriors. They, they chase this king, and this king flees. Know and understand that if you resist the devil, and that word resistance is almost a military term, like the resistance of the underground during World War II. If you resist the devil, or you confront the devil, or press against the devil, the Bible says he will flee. Hello. That's what it says. He will flee. And when the enemy realized he was being pursued by a praiser, and by a hearer of the word, he fled. They chased him. They caught him. They cut off his thumb, thumbs. They cut off his toes. And he said, my, 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 I have captured 70 kings. I've cut their thumbs and their toes. So what I have done to others, God, what I have sowed, God has required for me to reap. And the Bible says that he died. I want to tell you something. When the enemy begins to receive resistance from the church, he cannot handle what we bring against him. Help me, somebody. The Bible says, even the gates of hell should not prevail against a born-again believer. He's real good about reminding us of, us of our past, and we'll talk about that in a minute. But every time the devil reminds you of your past, just remind him of his future. You're going to burn, baby, burn. You're going to fall for a thousand years hopeless, and then you're going to be cast in the lake of fire, and there you're going to survive, and you're going to exist forever. Doesn't that make you feel better when he tries to bring your past up? You just remind him of his future. Do I have a friend in the house? In this story of Adana Bezik, Adana again means Lord, and Bezik means land, Lord of the land. The Bible tells us in, in Corinthians that Satan is the God of this world. The Bible tells us that we battle against different levels of spirituality. In just a minute, I'm going to share with you where that army came from what's happening in that battle. But if you'll go with me real quick to Luke, the first chapter, and if you have a Bible, I know they're going to put it up for you, but it's really, it's really good if you're able to look at it. Sometimes just, just reading something, it helps. Luke, Luke the 19th the 10th chapter, I'm sorry. And here I want to share a story of restoration. How many knows he's the God of restoration? In the Old Testament, Judges, the first chapter, how many kings were, were, were conquered? Talk to me. I just told you. Seventy. Seventy kings were conquered. Notice Luke 10, verse 1. After these things also the Lord appointed seventy also and sent them two by two before his face in every city place whether he himself would come. How many kings were conquered? How many, how many disciples went forth in the name of God? In his name bringing restoration and healing. Notice, if you will, verse 17. And the 70 returned again with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject unto us through thy name. And he said unto them, I beheld Satan as lightning fallen from heaven. Notice, notice the next verse there. I, be, I beheld Satan as lightning fallen from heaven. Read, I'm struggling a little bit. I've got two translations here. And I don't want to do this translation. I'm trying to do this translation. So bear with me just a minute, if you will. 
Lord, even the demons are subject unto us through thy name. And he said, I beheld Satan as lightning fallen from heaven. Behold, I give unto you power to tread upon serpents and scorpions and over all, look at somebody say all, the power of the enemy and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Notwithstanding this, rejoice not that spirits are subject unto you, but rejoice more that your names are written in heaven. Notice what happens. Jesus sends 35 teams of two. That's the power of agreement, two or three. 35 teams of two into cities that he wanted to go, but he couldn't go because there was only one of him. So he actually touches, as these, as these 35 teams of, of two go, they actually touch several, several cities. He tells them how to go, what to say, what to do. If they're received, how to respond. If they're not received, how to respond. They come back. They're excited. They've raised the dead. They've healed the sick. They've opened blind eyes. They've done everything in his name. And then he makes, they make the statement, even the demons were subject unto us. And then he begins to give them a history lesson of when he and God saw Lucifer cast out of heaven with one third of that demonic hoax. And here's what the Lord said. Don't get all hung up that you have power over demonic entities. That just goes with the covenant. But, but get more excited about the fact that your name is written down in the Lamb's book of life. And then it says, for the next hour, Jesus rejoiced in spirit, thanking God for this, this team of disciples that he had, that he sent forth. And if you do the Greek study, the word they rejoice means a Galileo. It means a leap, spin, twirl. So for about an hour, Jesus danced over the thought that he had seven disciples that had gone in his name, had taken back what the enemy had stolen, but more excited that their name was written down in the Lamb's Book of Life. I personally believe in heaven that there is a book with your name written down in it. I personally believe the one-third of the demons that were cast, the angels that were cast out of heaven. I believe that we are that replacement choir. I believe we're that replacement praise and worshipers. And I believe that when that number is completed, God's going to say, Son, go get your church. Bring them up to where we're at. There we can celebrate and be in the presence of God forever. There's something powerful about the fact that your name is written down in the Lamb's book of life. It's your name. It's there. The Bible says there's a new name written down in glory. I don't know what your name's going to be in heaven, but the Bible says it's a new name, and I'm sure that part of your name is going to be part of the name of God because there we're going to dwell in the presence of God forever. Does that excite anybody in the building? When he says, I give you power to tread upon serpents and scorpions, we know that scorpions represent the events of yesterday. The scorpion will always try to bite you with its tail. I remember my first encounter with a scorpion. I was just a child. I was in uh, Payton, Oklahoma, staying at my grandma's sister's house. And I remember there was, I'd never seen a scorpion before in my life, and there was a scorpion in the tub. And I went, being a kid, liking spiders and snakes and all those things, being a kid, I actually tried to pick the scorpion up. And when I went to pick up the scorpion, like you would pick up a lizard behind the neck, the scorpion stung me. Obviously, I didn't die, didn't get sick, but I learned don't ever try to pick a scorpion up. Just smash it. Hello, just smash it. The Apostle Paul said, forgetting those things which are behind, I press towards the mark. The Bible says the events of yesterday are history. That's old news. The new news is the blood of Jesus has washed you of your sins and your transgressions. You don't have a past, only a future. Does that excite anybody in the building? The events of yesterday cannot bite you, wound you, or affect you if you don't let them because the Bible says you have power over that. Serpents represent the events of the day. He said, I give you authority to take, I give you authority 
to take over anything that would try to hurt or harm you today. And aren't you glad that that blood still reaches to the highest mountain. It flows low valley. It will never lose its power. And the promises of God are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. The same God that healed me of colon challenges, the same God that healed me of frustrations of drugs and alcohol is the same God today that whatever storm I'm going through, he's the one that says, peace be still. I know the master of the wind and he'll speak calm to my storm if I'll operate in the faith and the confession, the power that God has given me. You've got to remember, Daniel tells us the greatest strategy of the enemy in the last days is to wear out the saints of the Most High. Jesus told us, don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow's got enough for you to worry about. I'll take care of that. Focus on the things of the day. And when he said, focus on the things of the day, consider the lily and consider the sparrow. The sparrow's not punch a clock, but God takes care of that sparrow. The lily's not work, but God takes care of that lily. If God loves sparrows and lilies so much, how much more today does he love us that belong to him and those that he sent his son to die for? In Isaiah, the 14th chapter, I'm sorry. Yes, in Isaiah, the 14th chapter, we will not visit that today. But it tells us that Lucifer decided that he wanted the praise and worship that God was receiving. He brings five things to our attention, five I wills, and I will later in, in, the, in, the, in the month. I'll get deeper into the five things that he said that he would do. But I want to remind you, if I can, this morning, as the devil said five things that he would do to better himself, to bless himself, to promote himself. I want to tell you five things this morning that Jesus said he would do for you. He said, if you follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. He said, if you honor my word, I'll make the head and not the tail. He said, if you call unto me, I will answer thee and show you great and mighty things you know not. And he said, all you that labor and heavy led, come unto me and I will give you rest. But most importantly, he said, if you see me going to heaven, I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am there, you may be also. The greatest promise we have is in Titus 2 and 13, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior. He's coming again. I'm here to tell you, he's going to return for a church that's watching and waiting for him, for, for virgins that have their oils, their lamps full of oil, that are doing kingdom work, that are expecting his return. He will return. Can I get a hand clap of praise for him this morning? As we look at the last days and as we look at the last of the last days. Let me bring attention to 2 Timothy 3 and 1. This know also in the last days that perilous times shall come. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to, par disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, that word heady means hot-headed, hot Traitor, heady, high-minded, that means prideful. Lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof, from such turn away. For of this sort are they which creep into houses and lead captive silly women laden with sins and led away with divers' lusts. This is a perfect example of soap operas. They creep in our houses and our ladies all get caught up on, on some movie star or these novels, these magazines. And I could pick on the men, but we don't have time to pick on the men since it's Mother's Day. I thought we would just throw that out. Ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Look at what Paul said would be in the last days. Lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. Truce breakers, violating covenants, marriage covenants father covenants, mom covenants, 
heady, high-minded. The Bible tells us blasphemers. Have we ever seen a generation today that's so anti-Christ, anti-God? I know there are bad things that happened in the days of Noah, the days of Sodom and Gomorrah, and we might address them in just a minute, but have you ever lived in a generation that is as bad as it is right now? We abort a million babies a day. Keith brought to my attention that there was a, a trailer truck load full of turkeys, 400 turkeys. The trailer truck fell over. All the turkeys died. Some kind of agency wanted to put a special memorial on the freeway to honor the 400 dead turkeys, but we'll see a million babies die a year and not say a word. As most of you know, I love the homosexual community. As most of you know that I am a pastor to several that when they go bad, through bad times, I'm the one called. I preach their funerals. I help them when they're in trouble, help them through working with their children. I love the homosexual community. I'm not, I'm not damning or downing the homosexual community. The Bible says that men shall be lovers of their own selves without natural affection. I was watching this morning on television. It's not important to name any names, but a, a, a famous college NFL player has, has openly pronounced that he is gay, and he was selected for the draft this morning, and CNN showed, that, showed him twice kissing his lover on the mouth. If you're familiar with Glee, is an open display now of homosexuality. If you look at Luke 17 and 26, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be also in the days of Son of Man. If you just turn over a few pages, I want to read just a few verses there. Luke, Luke 17, verse 27. As it was the days of Noah, so shall it be also in the days of the Son of Man. The days of the Son of Man are the last days. They did eat, food was their God. They did drink, alcohol was their friend. They married wives. They were given in marriage. In other words, they would get married, divorce, and marry again just to have a strange wife. Until the day that Noah entered the ark, the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise, also it was in the days of Lot. Watch this. They did eat. Food was their God. They drank. Alcohol was their companion. They bought. They sold. They planted. They built. But the same day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Even thus shall it be also in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. I believe that God is returning to this world. I believe God's already visited this world twice. I believe it's been destroyed by fire, by ice. I'm sorry. We know it's been destroyed by water. And I believe the day will come when this, this world be destroyed by fire. We know that, that ice represents God. Water represents the word. And, and, and fire represents the Holy Spirit. Three times God will visit this planet. But the third time he visits this planet, there will be a new heaven and there will be a new earth. And blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit that new heaven and that new earth. Does that excite anybody in the building today? <laughs> Ephesians 6 and 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord. Let's go. Let's turn over there. Let's take instead of I can quote that for you, but let's just look at it. I think sometimes it's a little more effective. Is anybody enjoying this brief word today? Does anybody know what happened to Ephesians in my Bible? Look at somebody else and give me a break. Watch this warrior for the most high. Ephesians 6 and 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord. Put on the whole armor of God that you may able to stand against the wiles or the strategies of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but the four levels I already share with you, principalities, powers, 
rulers of the darkness of this world, spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take on you the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand in the evil day and having done all to stand. And watch how God clothes us. Stand therefore, having your loins girt with truth. Your loins girt with truth represents sexual purity. It represents committed to a family, committed to a marriage. And take the, your feet shod and your, I'm sorry, Stand therefore, having your loins girded about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness. That, bre that breastplate of righteousness is athwart any fiery darts of the enemy that he will throw at you. He will question your integrity. He'll question your faith. He'll question your relationship with the Lord. He'll, he'll question your tithing. He'll question your offering. He will throw those fiery darts. But when you have your breastplate of faith on, the enemy cannot penetrate that breastplate of faith. And take having your feet shod with the gospel of peace, those feet they wore in, the, in those, those battles had spikes on them. They were the ability to stand. They didn't lose their balance. They didn't lose their, fi their, their footing. There was stability. Look at somebody say there was stability in the feet. In order to tread upon a serpent, a scorpion, you got to be able to step forward. I believe everything about the kingdom of God is stepping forward. It's, it's, it's marching to a different drummer. It's, it's, it's fighting in a different army. It's being a part of what God has called us to be. And we've got to make sure that our feet are planted by a rock. And we've got to make sure that we have that song in the night. We have that hope and blessing that comes with just being faithful and committed. And it says, take the, take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit which is the word of God. And notice after we clothe ourselves and dress ourselves, the only weapon we have against the enemy is the word. And we're, we're allowed to use the word against the enemy. And what we're supposed to do with this, this armor that we get, we're supposed to pray with all prayer and supplication of the spirit for all saints. That's what we do in battle is that we pray one for another. Do I have an amen or, or witness in this house that can submit to that? We are, we are in those. We are, Paul said, finally, my brethren, when you see those days approaching, and I believe that we're seeing those days approaching. If you go with me to Ezekiel the 38, are we covering too much today? Is this good? How many says we're covering too much? Three of you. You didn't say it, but you thought it. Ezekiel 38. There's so much in here that later in the month we will look at. I personally believe that Ezekiel 38... Verse 12. Maybe I went to Ezekiel 28. Everybody go to Ezekiel 28. Podcast congregation, go to Ezekiel 28. Are you there? I personally believe in this, this passage or text, there's overwhelming proof that Lucifer was a praise and worship leader of heaven. I believe in this passage of scripture, there's overwhelming proof that he was a walking musical instrument. There's only two ways to produce music. You hit it or you breathe it. Think about that for a minute. You either play the trumpet, play the flute, play the saxophone, or you hit the guitar, you hit the piano, you hit the bass. There's only two ways to, to, to make music. I believe that when Lucifer walked, I believe that when he opened his mouth, I believe that music came forth. I don't believe he had any other, any other that, that was what he was created to do. I believe that when he walked, I believe he made a sound of cymbals or pianos or guitars playing together. I personally believe that. 
I also believe in this passage of Scripture, it proves that there is a pre-Adamic race. The Bible says that when he's cast from heaven, that he comes to earth and he defiles the sanctuary. Sanctuary is a place where people worship God. This is before the creation of Adam and Eve, who built the sanctuaries that are on earth and who's worshiping God. I personally believe, this is my personal belief, I believe that when Lucifer was cast from heaven with one-third of the angels, I believe there was a generation upon this earth. I believe there was a generation that had their hearts focused on the things of God. Part of that generation did not. Those that sided with the enemy and with Lucifer, I believe when the Ice Age came, they died and their spirits became demonic. That's just my belief. I believe the warring angels, the Bible says, it's around us. Jacob saw a ladder leading up into heaven, saw angels coming in, up and down that ladder. I believe those ministering spirits, those warring angels, was a generation that was alive when Lucifer was cast out of heaven. And I believe that when there was revival, they turned their hearts towards God. And when God destroyed the world with ice, I believe they came ministering spirits. I just believe that. I believe that demons have the desire or the ability. They crave to enter either a human or a pig. I believe there was, or a dog, there was an estate. I believe there was a fallen state. I believe there was an estate where, where angels actually had the ability to make some decisions. There are those that believe that sons of God knew daughters of men. There were giants in the land. There are many scholars that believe that these were angels of the first estate. We may look at that a little further. But let me read, and let me read this and see if I can point out some of the things that I, I believe. Have I scared anybody? This is not a false doctrine or a new cult. I believe this is straight from the Word of God and from Dake's Bible. If you will, go to verse 12. This is a song of sorrow. This is a sad moment in God's life when God asks Ezekiel to sing a song of lamentation over something that he's created. Watch this. Son of man, take up a lamentation upon the king of Tyrus and saith unto him, Thus saith the Lord God. Ezekiel has a prophetic word or a... Or a or a rhema word for this king. Thou sealest up the sum. That phrase simply means two plus two equals four. Two times, four, two, times two equals four. It meant that this, create, this creature was perfect. Thou sealest up the sum full of wisdom and perfect and beauty. Probably the most beautiful creature that God ever created. When we look at Genesis 3, we find the serpent was more subtle, was more cunning, was more beautiful than any other creature of nature. I believe that God created this archangel. I believe that God created this archangel to lead one-third of the angels in praise and worship to the pre-incarnate word. That's just my personal belief. Notice what it says. Thou hast been in Eden, the garden of God. We know that Satan invaded the home of Adam and Eve through the serpent and convinced them to eat of the fruit. You all know the story. Every precious stone was I covering. It will mention ten. There are two stones that Satan has never been attached to and never will be. And I'll, we will in depth go through the meaning of the ten stones. The people of God had twelve stones on the ephod. And that's how they heard and received direction from God. On the, on the breastplate of the high priest was a Urim and the Thummim. The Urim was red. The Thummim was green. The Urim meant red, don't go. The Thummim meant green, go. And when they inquired of the Lord, God would, like the, God would allow the, the breastplate of the priest to light up. When they asked the priest who should go first, the stone Judah lit up. That's why God sent Judah first. And that's just a little, I don't know if you enjoy history lessons like that, but to me that's fun. But there, but there are two things that the enemy will never have the ability to do, and that's because of the stones that are missing. That has been eaten Every precious stone was I covering. There are ten of them. If you'll notice the workmanship 
of thy tabrets and of thy pipes was prepared in thee in the day thou was created. The word tabret in Hebrew means the rhythm of music, the very rhythm of music, the workmanship of thy tabrets and, and, and of thy and, and the pipes was created in thee the day thou was created. Thou art the anointed cherub that covereth. Obviously, this is an angel in the presence of God that is perfect. I have set thee so thou was upon the holy mountain of God. Thou hast walked up and down in the midst of the stones of fire. Thou was perfect in thy ways from the day thou was created till iniquity was found in thee. And this was the spirit of pride. Lucifer produced created pride. He said, I want to be like God. I want the praise and worship. And we'll talk about that later in Isaiah 14. By the multitude of thy merchandise, thou hast filled the midst of thee with violence. Know today that money is not evil. The Bible says money answereth all things. The love of money is evil. And through the multitude of his merchandise, he makes everything about money. And if you look at everything that's evil, usually somewhere there's a dollar sign. Whether it's pornography, whether it's gambling, whether it's prostitution, whether it's the abuse of drugs, abuse of alcohol, somebody is making a profit, and he is the God of making a profit. That's what he does. He will use money to turn marriages upside down. He will use money to turn churches upside down. He'll use money to turn corporations upside down because that's what he does. The scorpion asked the turtle to take him across the river. The turtle said, no, if I put you in my back, you'll sting me and I'll die. And the scorpion said, why would I do that? If you drown, I will drown. After much coaching, remind me to tell you something I saw this morning on the way to church. After much coaching, the turtle finally allowed the scorpion to get on his back. Halfway across the river, the scorpion stung the turtle. As they were drowning, the turtle said, why did you do that? Why did you sting me, knowing that it would kill you also? And the scorpion said, I don't know. It's just what I do. And that's exactly the mindset of the devil. It's what he does. That's what he does to destroy, to kill, to, 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 to maim, to wound, to pervert, to... to, to over the enemy, and nothing by any means shall hurt you. Our podcast congregation, we just had a little technical. Uh, it wasn't the rapture of the church. We'll st we'll st we are still here. Everybody is here. Okay, watch this. By the multitude of thy merchandise, they have filled the midst of thee with violence, and thou hast sinned. Therefore I will cast thee as profane. Jesus said, I beheld Satan as lightning fallen from heaven. I will cast thee profane out of the mountain of God, I will destroy the old covering cherub from the midst of the stones of fire. Thy heart was filled up because of thy beauty. Thou was corrupted by wisdom of reason, thy brightness. I will cast thee to the ground. I will lay thee before kings. When Satan was cast from heaven to earth, there was a race. There was a generation that they may behold thee. Thou hast defiled thy sanctuaries by the multitude of thy iniquities. When he fell to earth, sanctuaries were placed, a place to worship God were defiled. 
Therefore, I will bring a fire from the midst of thee. It shall devour thee, and I will bring thee to ashes upon the earth in sight of all of them that behold thee. And all they that know thee among the people shall be astonished at thee. Thou shalt be a terror, and never shalt thou be any more. The, the word of God tells us here that hell was created from the bosom of pride, and it was just for Satan and his followers. Hell was not created for you. Heaven was created for you. Joy unspeakable and full of glory was created for you. But remember, there's one-third of this Bible. Remember, the Bible was written to the godless, to the wife of God, and to the church. One-third of, of, this, of, of this Bible is written to a generation that will never turn their hearts towards God, and they make a decision. And not to choose is to choose. That help anybody? Not to choose is to choose. It's impossible to ride the fence. You can't, you can't ride the fence. If you don't serve God, you're making a choice. You say, well, I'm not going to worship the devil, but if you choose not to serve God, then you worship the devil. There's no, there's, no, there's, no, there's no way around that. So not to choose is to choose. And here's, here's what happens. This hell was created for Satan, and when he falls, there are going to be those that are going to be astonished because they built him up so big, and they made him so powerful. I think Christians today need to realize that he is a loser. He lost at Calvary. Let me say that again. He's a loser. He lost at Calvary. The word said, had they known, the, the, the demons of this world would have never crucified the Lord of glory. He took the sting of death. He took the power of the grave. He took the keys of hell away from the devil. And then he opened a place for you and I to dwell with him forever. We win when we commit our heart and our life to Jesus Christ. Do I have a friend in the house? today. If you go with me to Romans 8 and 37, I know we're covering a lot of ground today, but I want to set some of the things up so we can continue to teach. Are you enjoying this this morning? Are you learning thing? Romans 8 and 37. It's so fun to quote verse 35 through 41, who shall separate it But the point I want to make today. The word says in verse 37, nay, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. What a great truth. What a great promise. What a great revelation. My opinion, it would be cool just to be a conqueror. Do I have a witness? However, Paul says, you're not just a conqueror. You're more than a conqueror. Explain that. I will. Let's today, just for the fun of it, let's assume that Josh is not just the praise and worship leader, but let's assume that Josh is a heavy weight boxer, a professional heavyweight boxer. Matter of fact, if you go there with me, stretch a little bit. Not just a heavyweight boxer, but the heavyweight boxing champion of the United States. He has defeated Sugar Ray. He has defeated Cassius Clay. He's defeated the guy that has the weird tattoo thing on his, him too. He's defeated them all. He has defeated every single... He is the, he is the champion of America. I can, I can see it. You see it? He gets an invitation from the country of Russia 
This Russian boxer has defeated every single other boxer in the world, except the champion of America. So Russia challenges the United States and says, we want our champion to take on your champion to determine who is the champion of the world. And the winner of this bout will receive $15 million cash. Immediately, Josh thinks it over. Jackie says yes. He starts preparing. He starts jump rope. He stops shadow boxing. He starts running. He starts lifting weights. He starts curling. He starts protein. He does T25 by Shanti. He does every other workout, yoga. He's into it. He is pumped. He is a mean, lean fighting machine. He gets, in the, he gets in the ring with the champion of Russia. One round only. They fight until one of them falls down. They punch each other a couple times. It looked like Joshua was going down, but he got back up. And he punched, they punched. And finally, in the closing seconds of the round, he delivers a punch to the jaw of the Russian champion. The Russian champion falls on the ground. And Josh is declared champion of the world. At that particular season in his life, he becomes the conqueror. He gets the title. He gets the flowers. He gets the hoopla. He gets the $15 million suitcase full of cash. As the conqueror, he goes home. And he hands that $15 million cash booty to his precious wife, who never lifted a weight, never took a vitamin, never jumped the rope, never had a single punch. But because he was the conqueror, he gave everything to his wife, and now she becomes more than a conqueror. Do you see it? Do you see it? Jesus Christ got in the boxing ring with the devil. The devil tried to kill him when he was a baby, tempt him when he was a man, bring charge against him as a sinner, but he took the keys of hell and of death. He overcame the death, the hell, the enemy. He became a conqueror, and then he said, Behold, I give you the keys of the kingdom. You go in my name. You conquer. You take back. You redeem. You bless. You heal. Restore. He's the conqueror. We're more than conquerors through Christ who loved us. You see that this morning. Genesis 2. Before Genesis 2 and 6, there were no clouds, there was no rain. The garden was watered by a dew. In California, dew was quite common. You got in the morning and there was dew on the grass. And you would walk on the grass and you could see your footprints and your, your feet would get wet. I think that happens sometimes in Tennessee. Not a whole lot, but sometimes. And that's how, the, that's how the garden was watered. So the Bible says in Genesis 2 and 6 that a dew came up from the ground and watered the earth. The very next verse. Let me read into it what the verse is saying. God Almighty, the creator of the ends of the earth, got down on his hands and his knees and he began to play in the mud. If there was dew and dirt, we have clay, mud. God begins to shape, God begins to mold, God begins to make. Knowing that Satan was in the Garden of Eden, probably was in the Garden of Eden before man, let's say that Satan observes God playing in the mud. Satan looks over his shoulder, he sees God forming a creature, two arms, Two legs, 
two ears, two eyes, two nostrils, only one mouth. Maybe God wants us to listen twice as much as we talk. Just a thought. And as he's shaping and as he's molding and as he's making, all of a sudden Lucifer recognizes something. He recognizes this image. He has seen this image before. This image was in the beginning with God. For in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And this image was the image that Satan led one-third of all the angels in praise and worship to. All of a sudden, Lucifer starts getting apprehensive. He starts getting nervous. He starts getting a little worried. And he says to God, he said, God, what are you building? He's watched God speak the worlds into existence. He's watched God create rivers and oceans and waves and the moon and the stars and the sun. He's watched God generate giraffes and lions and zebras and butterflies and hummingbirds. He's watched God speak things into existence, but he's never saw God build anything. He said, God, what are you building? And God never even looked up at him. He just kept working on him. And he said, I'm building your replacement. You were the praise and worship leader. You led the angel in praise and worship. You've lost that ability. You've lost that talent. But I'm raising up a generation out of the dust of the earth from the womb of woman that will crush the head of Satan, will take away the keys of hell, will walk in power and authority. We are Satan's replacement. We are the praise and worship leaders that one day the angels will be silent and we will sing a new song of redemption, a new song of glory because we are the only thing that God ever built. Think about that. We're the only thing that God, everything else, he spoke into existence, but he built us. He went to a lot more attention. He built us better than a dog. He built us better than an angel. He built us better than, he built us better than anything. We are his prized possession. And one day the redeemed of the Lord are going to rise up in a twinkling of an eye. The dead in Christ is going to rise first. And we, which are alive and remain, are going to be caught up in the air to meet the Lord. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one of these, one of these words. The seasons of anxiety are coming to closure. The seasons of pain and frustration are coming to closure. It's a new day in the kingdom of God. We know who we are. We know what authority we walk in. We know that God created us to take back what the enemy has stolen. As every head is bowed, as every eye is closed, yes, things are bad. Yes, television attempts to blaspheme God. The Antichrist seems to make fun of the name of the Most High, wear out the saints of the Most High. But I believe God is raising up an army. I believe God is raising up a generation. Psalm 102, 18 speaks of a generation to come. The people shall be created, shall praise the Lord. I believe the enemy has tried to steal our song, minimize our time to worship, made it unimportant, insignificant, creating seeker-friendly generation. I have no challenge with seeker-friendly, but I have a challenge with people gathering together in the name of the Lord and not singing and praising and worshiping until they feel like they've touched God. I have a challenge with that. I believe we made church cool. We made church comfortable. We're doing all the right things to attract the world. But let me tell you, there's a heaven to gain. There's a hell to shun. Hell is hot. The blood is real. And God is coming back for a generation that's watching and waiting for him. He's not coming back for the lukewarm He's not coming back to the foolish virgins. Do not use their anointing and ability and talents to light the world. 
He's not coming back for the closet Christian. He's coming back for those that boldly proclaim him one to another. He said, if you confess me before men, I'll confess you before my father. You're here this morning and maybe you've wandered away from the things of God. You've wandered away from the purpose and plan of God. Those of you listening by CD, those of you listening by podcast, right where you are, God wants to come right where you are and God wants to fill you with his presence. All you got to do is acknowledge a need. All you got to do is call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised. So shall we be saved from our enemies. If you're here this morning and you don't know the Lord or you're saved, you wandered away from God, I promise you, in 34 years of ministry, I have never called anybody out in salvation. I've never embarrassed anybody. That's not what God told me to do. If you're here this morning, you've wandered away from God and you're not where you're supposed to be, and you say, Preacher, I want to be a part of the church. I want to be a part of the bride. I want to be a part of that, 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 that bride that he comes back for. I want to give my heart to God. I want to live my life for the Lord. I need God's help in my life every day. This morning, I want to turn things around. I want today to be a turnaround day in my life. If that's where you're at, just put your hand up. Put it right back down. I want to turn around in my life. Is there one? We will give you a moment. Yes, is there another? We'll give you another. I just want to acknowledge that he needs to be the Lord of my life, and I need a Savior, and I need him. Father, we thank you for these hands that are lifted. We thank you for these hearts that have declared their desire to know you. You said all we had to do was to acknowledge that you were Lord, that you died, you rose, and you are Savior. To acknowledge that we are instruments of sin and we have failed and come short the glory. This morning we acknowledge our sin. We don't call it mistakes. We call it sin. We acknowledge our sin and we confess it and we repent of it. As our prodigal son repented and ran back to the fathers, Peter repented and called out to Christ. So do we repent and call unto you. Come into our heart. Wash away our sin, not that we won't make mistakes, but that you're there with us to help us when we fall. Be the Lord of our life. In Jesus' name we pray. And they all said, Amen. Amen.